this thing on here? That mic on? You guys hear me? Bioneers, Friday morning. Thanks to Kenny and Nina and Artie as well, and, and I big props to JP for continuing to encourage me to, to manipulate semantics in punishing ways, as we say. Um, on the 20th anniversary, I just want to acknowledge that um, 15 years ago, seven of us bought a piece of land up in Occidental. That's this Occidental Arts and Ecology Center and Sewing Circle. <clears throat> and it was a couple months after buying that that we all attended our first Bioneers, the one down in the uh, Palace of Fine Arts, and have been coming every since for the last 15 years. And so have been deeply honored to participate in the last three quarters of this event here. Um, so I just want to show you a couple images here. Occidental Arts and Ecology Center is a 501c3 nonprofit in Western Sonoma County, and we're on an 80-acre piece of land, and we run a whole bunch of different programs. We've got our mother garden program. There's a seed exchange come tomorrow night at 6, 6.30. We'll give you away all kinds of seeds. We've got a school garden teacher training programs. We've got our wildlands programs. We've got permaculture design programs. Right? Permaculture is not a hairdo in Alaska. Right? <laughs> Permaculture is a, a design methodology for regenerative human settlement patterns. We've got our ecological agriculture programs. We've got cows, the kingdom of Occidental West Sonoma, 107.3 LP radio. And we're basically trying to figure this out, and it's a community effort. And OAC is a collective of folks, and I just want to honor those folks that I've had the honor of working with for so long, an amazing cast of characters that I get to work with. <clears throat> And then also the Sewing Circle community members, of which there are now 11 of us who live on the land, steward the land together. It's a consensus-based collective community. It's a retrofit of a commune at this point, and honoring those folks. And for somebody who deeply engages in the bio part of Bioneers as a biologist by birth, I want to honor intentional community with all life forms and how we do that, not only on our 80 acres, but at a planetary level. As a biologist, I spent enough time trying to figure out endangered species and critters, and it became clear to me that when the water cycle was compromised, the capacity to support life was going to be compromised. And so I've mostly spent a lot of time studying water, not that I've abandoned the snakes and frogs and turtles and lizards and scorpions and such, but trying to figure out that basic cycle of life. And this Water Institute, as you can see, is an acronym there, is, is one attempt at getting at it, because if when you talk water, you get to talk about everything. Um, so that gets me to this notion of basins of relations and how are we going to have a reverential-based rehydration revolution. Many of you have been told this is planet Earth, it's really planet water, and this is not planet water, even though the NASA's all happy about the water they found there. Um, this is the one we should be, the water we should be worrying about is this. I, it's not clear to me if we can't manage a hydrologic budget here, how we think we're going to manage one on the moon. <laughs> there was a recent poll where 50% of Americans, Americans could not name one component of the water cycle. So the depth of hydro illiteracy that we're facing is pretty profound. And it's trying to get at the sense that there's this molecule, this combination, this oxygen, right, this hydrogen. Many of you would know it as this magic Mickey Mouse molecule, right? It's got these oxygen ears, this, right, the hydrogen ears, I mean, the oxygen face. It's got a polar, polarity to it, plus and minus charges, right? It's bipolar. Should pass the, it's tripolar. Imagine the substance that is a solid, is a hexagonal solid, that it can be a solid, a liquid, and a gas. 
that you could take sunlight and strike the solid and turn it into a gas and not even go through a phase of liquid, of sublimation, that as a solid it floats on its liquid self? Imagine that. If I sank, all bets would be off. <laughs> the idea of phase state change I want to come back to, but this solid-liquid gas piece of this molecule is really important to the discussion. And then there's something like this, and I don't know if folks can get a sense of what this looks like. It's a, a satellite image of snow above the mesas of the Grand Canyon. It's actually a satellite image of the mouth of the Mississippi Delta. No, I'm sorry. It's actually a scanning electron micrograph of the neural pathway in your brain, or maybe it's one of your lungs in your pulmonary bronchial alveoli system, or maybe it's just looking up into a tree in the Costa Rican rainforest. <laughs> Take your pick, but be clear about it. Form follows function, and in the fractal nature, all of those forms are driven by the flow of water. Trees and blood and lungs and brains and watersheds and delta. Water's the lubricant of life and driver of that form-following function. And that gets me back to life, right? Every living being on this planet when it's actively respiring and metabolizing is by volume mostly water, right? Imagine this photo this gentleman in England just got of this incredible bat taking a little drink here. And as pioneers, we stand in the face of the antibiotic modernization out there, the agriculture of monocrop of antibiotics, and we go to a probiotic movement. This is a probiotic movement here. I will stand now and say I'm actually a pro-lifer. <laughs> I'm about pro-life, pro-life of all living systems, as Bill McDonough would remind us of every species of every generation for all time. This is a pro-life movement. We live on Gaia. Right? And those kingdoms of life, they're not kingdoms, they're kingdoms, and Dennis Martinez would remind us to have a kin-centric view, our relationship. And so we honor that water is a noun, a thing, a solid, a gas, a liquid, but it's also kind of a verb in the language of this literacy here, right? So it's got a flow. And basically, the water cycle and the life cycle are the same cycle. No water, no life. Right? We live on this amazing planet. And every human endeavor, you can unpack it and look at it. There's water at the base of supporting that system, all manufacturing and all food production, all waste, all energy. It's all there. Water's at the root of that. And Luna Leopold, the son of Aldo Leopold, has this wonderful quote I like a lot, that the health of our waters is the principal measure of how we live on the land. So if you would like to judge the efficacy of your settlement pattern in place through time, why don't you evaluate the quantity and quality of the water in your stream, in your lake, in your estuary, in your bay, or in your ocean. 70% of this planet is covered by water. Volumetrically, 97% is the ocean, 2% poles and caps, and 1% is fresh water cycling annually. And in our post-industrial era here, we have polluted half of that freshwater cycle already. So we got a bit of a conundrum. It seems to me that we've got some work to do. And the reverence around that, I, I had the blessing, and I don't know if Betsy Damon's with us today, another pioneer who I met last year, and we, we had an amazing trip to Tibet and China, Sichuan province, and, and got to really go. There was, there was basically five of us in a four-wheel drive for 3,000 miles, right? Two find with one heart, a reverential relationship to water. And we toured around and saw these amazing springs and caves and and just beautiful Tibetan reverence for their 
uh, relationship with rehydration. And these amazing water wheels, every little spring and creek would have these, these basically water-powered prayer wheels that were going along, and you could just feel the prayers emanating in the air as you would move through these landscapes. And, and it gave me a sense of honoring that when I got back home here in America, we had this deep connection to water as well, right? <laughs> they say if the solution to pollution is dilution, then I guess if you gotta get a jelly donut down your gullet, then having some pure water nearby is a good business model, right? A, a stacking functions question. But do not fool yourself in thinking that bottled water is going to save you. If you do, you may end up falling prey to being so, right? <clears throat> that corporation was very clear about making up that name. <clears throat> they just looked in the mirror, right? And I would support you all in looking in the mirror and staring down the truth of this reality. Bottled water's not gonna get you out of this. There's a climate justice, environmental justice, global justice opportunity. And I want to reference and support some of you to go check out the folks in the afternoon session doing the work called Movement Generation. It's a Bay Area group of folks. And OAC's partnered with them for years now. And it's, I think, some of the best work going on out there with respect to socially just, ecologically literate activation and participation. Um, and I do want to give a big shout out to all of the Native Americans and all of the Native Indigenous peoples and all of us and our indigenosity here. Uh, specifically, this is an image of the Winnemuwintu folks and Colleen Sisk-Franco fighting against the final flooding of their homeland behind Shasta Dam, if we so choose to raise that, so that we can then flood irrigate and salinate the westlands of the San Joaquin Valley, to, right? Um, and get clear about it. Water's not for sale. Do you believe the planet is a commodity or a community? Is it all for sale? Is it up for grabs? Where do you line up on that, on that equation? Because this tempestuous being here has basically stated its uh, response to the addiction foisted upon us by the oligarchy of the fossil foolery that we are currently engaged in. <laughs> And you don't need the scientific community to let you know that climate change is happening, right? <clears throat> We've been airing the dirty laundry on this for a while. <laughs> right? in, I was in Brazil a couple years ago, and I can tell you the 2008 shot the, is a different kind of bathing suit down there. It's hot. <laughs> Every scientific indicator that the world is using, such as this intergovernmental panel on climate change, this is their 07 statement, is a water-based indicator. It has to be. It has to be. If you're gonna thicken the blanket on the atmosphere and you're gonna hold more heat in here, you're gonna increase the average temperature, then if I put a blankie on the bed and you have no option of kicking a leg out and I keep putting blankies on the bed, how are you gonna try to cool down? You have to change the phase state of water and you're gonna sweat because that exchange going from a liquid to a gas is a cooling reaction. Well, the planet's gonna do one thing before that. It's gonna take this air temperature that's driving the system and it's gonna melt the snow and ice and that change from solid to liquid is the first attempt to cool it down. Then it's gonna make that liquid go to gas and it's gonna ramp it up and we're gonna see these big new category six storms. 
And all of that's heading to the sea level there. And they don't say global nice sea level rise. They say global mean, because when it rises, it's going to be mean. <laughs> Think about it, right? So as far as I can tell, in this moment where we have basically the idea of peak oil leading to peak water and peak food and such, you're going to take a peak in the future. This idea of 2020, they say hindsight is 2020. It better be foresight should be 2020 as we look forward to the stuff that Kenny was supporting us about, this 350 idea, right? We better have foresight and take a peek into the future because as peak everything coincides with global weirding, which is really what we're going to get, then we're going to get peak weirding in the future and you just need to be prepared for that. Recent data just come out from the folks in, in Britain about summer ice is pretty much not expected to be around in 20 to 30 years. As soon as 10 years, we very likely may have ice-free summers in the Arctic. And you should understand positive feedback loops and how heat is retained by liquid versus bouncing off solid and how that global weirding is a nonlinear process. Again, back to Tibet here, this is one of the most fascinating things. I was trying to study this. And here's the Himalaya. And if you look, the glaciers that feed, whether you go to the Indus through, right, Pakistan, the Ganges on this side, the Yalong, which is the Brahmaputra here, the Irrawaddy here, the Salween, the Mekong, the Yangtze, and the Yellow, every major river in that system originates as glacier-fed water from the Himalaya, and they're all due to be gone, those glaciers, in 30 years, and you got three billion people depending on that flow, right? We got to visit a shot. Here's a, a 1920s photo. Here's a 1978 photo, and here's a 2009 photo, and this was all glaciated back in the 20s. And folks everywhere in Tibet that we talk to, they, they don't need to be told. They, they get this. 80% of California's water supply is delivered to us as a solid that stays high and leaks out slowly called Sierra Snowpack. 75 to 100 years we're due to have many possible winters that have zero or less than 10% snowpack. 80% of the water supply of the state. And all that's moving to that mean sea level rise. And this is just an image of San Francisco Bay. Here's San Rafael. The light blue is the area that will be inundated with one meter sea level rise. This is one meter sea level rise. Here's Sacramento. So 36 inches of elevation gain. We're up eight in the last 100 years under the Golden Gate by measurement, right? So what we're going to get, as far as I can tell, is a lot of affordable housing, <laughs> right? Is that housing you have to ford through the water to get to? Is that affordable anymore, <laughs> right? Is that what it looks like? And so at this point, you're all like, dude, I came here to be inspired. What do you like about me now? <clears throat> well, the Titanic that's going down right now is not going to hit iceberg because there won't be any left. <laughs> and the game, as far as I can tell, is about finding your lifeboat and figuring out what your lifeboat is. And as far as I've been able to figure out, the lifeboat you're looking for is called your watershed. All right? And it's going to be watershed by watershed by watershed by watershed in a decentralized, resilient, community-based, bioregionally engaged, three-dimensional, hydrologically, geologically inspired space whereupon every human land use that occurs from stem to stern, from ridgeline to river mouth, 
is up for the grand, resilient retrofit. Every human land use, from forestry and grazing and agriculture and urbanization and industrial systems and sub suburbs and rural residential, every human land use, remember, it's about water is the principal measure of how we live on the land, and we gotta outfit every lifeboat. And it's gonna be lifeboats across the world because everyone on the planet lives in a watershed. So this isn't a NIMBY thing. It's like, well, it's not my watershed, not my lifeboat. You've got to step up to the plate and deal. And so we're enrolling a whole new Navy of lifeboat captains and crew out there. <laughs> and we would like the pioneers to step up. All right. I would support you that you inquire within. <laughs> Are you capable as a deckhand to batten down the hatches and in this global peak weirding moment, step up and retrofit the way in which your lifeboat will behave in the extremities of the weirding. We got six to 12 inches in a mid-October rainfall here a couple days ago, unheard of. I was really happy at OAC. As I was laying in bed there and it was raining like crazy, I'm just thinking, oh, my pond's filling up and a mile of swales are filling up and the water bars are working and my roof water tanks are filling up. And I'm, if Guy is gonna give me an allowance into my water budget, I'm happy to open up the deposit slip and take that early allowance. Because we're patterning the, la the landscape to be absorptive and receptive and receiving of this offering. So every one of you live in a lifeboat. This is the lifeboat I live in. It's called the Dutchbill Watershed. It's in the lower Russian River. Here's Bodega Bay. And everyone lives in a lifeboat. The light, here's this Marin County, and here we are in the San Rafael little lifeboat. And this is thus a basins of relations. What are the relationships you share with whom you inhabit the basin, and how do you all coordinate your efforts and get along on behalf of that? And so I wanna give a big shout out to the, all of the satellite folks out there and the folks up in Anchorage getting their lifeboats together and the folks down in LA doing really good work. Go check out Andy Lipkiss later. CSU down in Turlock, San Joaquin's got some work to do down there. Santa Fe's got some great lifeboats to work on down there. The posse out there in Logan Salt Lake, I love this June Sucker Nation. That's a fish, right? <laughs> I live in Salmon Nation, but I like June Sucker Nation. <clears throat> Everybody out there in Boulder Watershed, imagine that lifeboat work, and Bozeman's got some work to do, and the Great Lakes, Traverse City, and Cleveland, and Detroit, that's quite the work. The River Rouge lifeboat retrofit, quite the work, and some folks are stepping up to that plate. Uh, look at all the water lifeboats in Minneapolis, Madison. The fun part is that everywhere on the planet, Louisville, Kentucky's full of them. Out there in Ithaca, what lifeboat do you live in? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Right? The f we live in a topographically diversified place and it's this discussion between geology and hydrology that's carved out these landscapes so that Massachusetts can talk about it, Portland, Maine can talk about it, Houston. Imagine the lifeboats along Houston. And so, step up to the plate, inquire within, find your crew, get your lifeboat squared away, and begin figuring out how do the headwaters work? How does rural ag work and forestry and grazing? How does suburbs work? How does the urban connection work? What is that relationship in here in this cycle? And how are you going to participate in your way at the scale you can with respect to the retrofit, to this remodel? It's the great remodel, right? And everybody on the planet lives in one, right? 
Conoce tu cuenca, that's, there's no question mark on that. That's a statement. That's got an exclamation point. Do you know your watershed? Right? We had a fun time. We got some money from the Coastal Conservancy. We put a bunch of watershed signs on various roads throughout western Sonoma County. <clears throat> right? So as you're driving along on this landscape and you come over a ridge, you can have a little watershed moment. Oh, right? <clears throat> And basically get into what John Wesley Powell really talks about, this idea that a hydrologic system, all living things, inextricably linked, a common water course where humans settled, and there's just a simple logic about this, that you're a part of a community. Imagine that. What a concept, right? For me, totem salmon is the big canary in the watershed coal mine, and I would support you in trying to recognize that, and I won't go on at length about what's called the anadromous nutrient pump and how much calcium and nitrogen and phosphorus is brought back from the ocean to be deposited in the feces of bears and people and eagles and coons and little invertebrates and trees. Read a book called Totem Salmon by Freeman House. This idea that we learned from salmon, wow, how kin-centric of us, that there's the importance of a watershed as a unit of perception. And the unit of perception has got to get that. If you're going to have in our watershed, we have the no coho left behind campaign. <laughs> so if you're going to get that, then here's the unit of perception that's got to do it. And in really the work of the day then is this. Ecosystem restoration. What's the new story of the ecosystem? Can it tell a different story that it's a part of the system, that you are a part of, not a part from? And can you actually do that starting with the headwaters, which is the water in your own dang head? <laughs> and so on that note, I do want to propose a toast to all of you bioneering bipedal sacks of saline solution to stay hydrated and drink up. Right. All right. It's a little early to stand up, but if you want to stand up. All right, I'll drink to you again. Mm. Oh, it's so good. Water is so good. Don't you just want to swim in it and just, oh, I love water. Again, honoring Betsy, this idea that water is the foundation of life, it must be the foundation of the design in the built environment. And so you perceive as stormwater a problem that you will then pave, pipe, and pollute, or as stormwater an opportunity as a solution to slow it, spread it, sink it. And you've got to figure that out. It's a perceptual situation. That's not a technological challenge. As Penny Livingston would remind us, the conundrum we're facing with water is a spiritual challenge first and foremost. And so, yeah, you can put a stencil on the drain, but it's just going down the drain, and where, it's going away, and has anyone been away? <laughs> Do I need to get a visa to go away? Like, where is away, right? So we've got to move from the drain age, the age of draining, where it's all about designs that desiccate and dehydrate and degrade as it goes away and it runs off into a rehydrative restorative, absorptive, infiltrative, spongy-like relational retrofit. This is the work of Brad Lancaster from Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands, an amazing book. So the question is, are you part of the solution or part of the precipitate? <laughs> Can you precipitate the change that you want to see and step up as a pioneer to be part of the solution? 
And one of the opportunities, I think, the system that I can best understand that supports you in understanding that is the permaculture design course, and I'd recommend everybody take a two-week PDC because they're an amazing opportunity to rethink and, and such. We have one coming up. And if, come over and check out the panel I have with Darren Doherty here this afternoon. We got a lot of really exciting slides of amazing work happening out around the country. And it's this interesting thing where the entire cycle, the carbon cycle and the hydrologic cycle are solar-based cycles. They're powered by the sun. But the solar cycle we got to get into first is your solar power to step up to the plate. Right? Invest in your own solar power, which is what this weekend is hopefully for all of you. It's an investment in your solar power. And then get up to the mic in whatever way you need to. <laughs> right? <laughs> Speak truth to power. If it's a hot day, wear shorts. <laughs> and find a way to have a conservation hydrology-based retrofit that receives and recharges and retains and releases in a reverential retrofit here. And so in this slow water movement, no water, no food. So if you want slow food movement, you better have a slow water movement. And then you can tell me about slow money, right? But we got to slow it down. And it's got to start up here. This is your brain on watershed. And the game then becomes that you slow it, you spread it, you sink it, but you got to think it. And so will y'all join me in slow it, spread it, sink it. 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 You got it? And I thank you all for your attention. And I wish you the best of Bioneers. I hope you have a great Bioneers brain bath, right? And that's me.